Because if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. And not in an arrogant way, again, more of like a lead by example. And I always say your ability to solve your problem, whatever problem comes your way is only as good as your network. Like your network is your net worth. If you're not expanding yourself, if you're not expanding the people that you surround yourself with, if you're not climbing to learn more, to do more, there's never been a problem that I've encountered. You know, my first thought is how do I fix it? It's more of who do I know that can help me? Welcome to Elevate Your Career, the podcast dedicated to empowering individuals from all walks of life as they navigate the ever-changing landscape of their chosen fields. In this show, we'll be bringing on a diverse range of professionals from various career stages to uncover the secrets behind achieving success in any industry. We'll explore how they achieve their career goals and the path they took to get there. Your host is none other than Nicole McMacken. CEO of the Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC, an award-winning information technology solutions and staffing provider. Now let's get to the show. I'm not going to quit. Lean into the feeling of discomfort. I found my ability to do new things. Entrepreneurship is really hard. Are all the things you are going to hear Clara Pay, founder and creator of Unite Foods, speak to today? What made her so successful? How she finally realized she is none other than curious, creative Clara. And more importantly, what she recommends for those of you out there working full-time, but want to take a stab at something more by starting your own company. Today's podcast will feature Clara Pay, CEO and founder of Unite Foods, who is a first-generation immigrant and second-generation entrepreneur. How does a woman who grew up in her family plumbing distribution business make it to one of the most recognized female entrepreneurs in today's market? Tune in. You are about to find out all of her secrets. Clara, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. I have been waiting for this moment for months. Nicole, it's such a pleasure to be here. Really looking forward to our conversation today. And you are where? Right now, you're on a journey. You're in South Carolina. Is that where you said you were? I am. I am in Kiowa Island, South Carolina. I've never been here. I was. Um, I came to speak to a group of students at the Citadel yesterday, which was a cool experience. Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. We'll have to learn more about that. But wanted to start off, and that actually could have been your you know, fun fact about yourself that not many people know, but can you tell us one thing about you that, you know, not, not many people know? I think people would be most surprised to learn that uh, my dream job growing up was to be a makeup artist. (laughs) I was always um, really into cosmetics and makeup really from even like a very young age. My earliest childhood memory was my dad uh, going to Asia and bring me back a toy instead of a toy. He brought me back a makeup kit. And from then on, it was love at first sight and really thought that that might be something I wanted to do. Even took a class at USC called makeup promotion pictures and kind of explored it. But I think if I wasn't uh, doing protein bars, I'd probably be in the cosmetics business now. Well, and you know, that's funny because it lends itself. You're a very creative person, right? And becoming a makeup artist is very very creative. It's we have a woman, um, Mana Kadar. She's going to be on our show here in a few weeks, and she started Mana Kadar Cosmetics. It's a huge line, so that's funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask her if she could give you some tips as well. So maybe you never know. You could be a, a good competitor to her. 
Well, you know, what's funny about creativity is I never would have defined myself as a creative person. Like when people would ask, like, are you a creative person? I'd be like, no, I can't. I draw six figures, right? And it wasn't until much later in life that a friend of mine who's a very talented artist was like, Clara, you are very creative. Look at what you do with color and makeup and look what you do, you know, in this area of your life and that area of your life. And it was just like expanding the definition of creativity. I think, you know, as children, you're like, oh, you're artistic. And that's what is linked to creativity, your ability to like kind of draw or, or play an instrument or, you know, things along that, those lines. And I've never been that line. So it's really interesting. I think creativity is a spectrum, you know, and it can be creativity in business too. So I love that. I, and you know, it's so funny hearing you say that because I did not know that obviously about you. And for our listeners, Clara actually dresses me. She sends me links to what I should wear every day because she has such an astute sound fashion sense that I love. And so I I told her, you know, soon I'm going to have to pay you to be my personal uh, outfitter here. But no, in everything that you do, and I, and I do agree, Clara, right, is that the big misnomer, it's about innovation as well, right? When we talk about creativity and innovation. And- 100%. And and you hear people that get stifled, like I'm not Elon Musk. I I can't I can't innovate. I I'm not, you know, Steve Jobs like. I I can't innovate. I'm not creative. I barely can even draw. And I think that really holds people back in their careers because there's a lot of things around innovation and creativity. And we're gonna dive in into your creativity and innovation in the podcast. But before all of that, I'd love for our listeners to get to know a little bit more about your journey. And just, you know, we can start from who you are and take it from there and just life lessons and learned. And how did you get to the place you are today? Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm a lot of things. I'm a mom, an entrepreneur, a business person. But I think where it starts for me is, you know, my family and I were immigrants. We moved to the U.S. Um, in 1982. I was five years old. I was born in Africa, in the Sudan. And English is not my first language. And being a child of immigrants and being an immigrant myself, you know, it was really, um, you know, the, the United States really represented an opportunity for a lot of people who are immigrants and learning a new language and learning a new culture and learning new foods. And all of those experiences, I think, were foundational to who I would become, even in business or as a person later on. You know, immigrants, the, the, one of the, you know, key keynotes of an immigrant experience is education. And so immigrants are very fanatic about educating their kids, really stress good grades. And so that was kind of the home life that I had growing up. Um, my parents, you know, school was really important. Education was really important. And, um, you know, I always, that, that was always an emphasis. So I worked really hard on being a good student. I uh, went to USC for my undergrad and didn't actually know what I wanted to study. And came across, I thought, you know, maybe I wanted to be a lawyer back then, like kind of my freshman year. And took a political science class and was like, oh, I don't want to do this. And I don't want, I don't think law school's for me. And discovered the business school at USC, which is one of the leading business schools in the nation. But I didn't want to do a business discipline like finance or accounting. So I wasn't sure that it was for me. And it wasn't until I learned about the entrepreneurship program that I really found a fit. And I was like, that's what I want to do. My dad's an entrepreneur. I've always been, you know, had ideas for little businesses growing up, even from a very young age. You know, I tried to sell leaves to my neighbors or, you know, draw pictures and sell them to my aunts and uncles. Wait, and you so tried to, wait, you tried to sell leaves? Is that what you said? Leaves yeah. to neighbors? 
Yeah, I had no artistic ability, right? So I couldn't make anything. <laughs> so, um, really cool leaves that I thought was cool. And wouldn't somebody else think that they were cool and be valuable? So just silly things like that. And so entrepreneurship became kind of something I discovered. And I was really blessed that USC had such a robust entrepreneurship program. And it was number one in the nation. And the classes were so fun because they were like TED Talks before there were TED Talks. So we, you know, get to hear from the founder of Kinko's or learn how the man that started Trader Joe's started or Judy's clothing. And so just being exposed to entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs in that environment, in a learning environment was like very foundational to who I was. And I wanted to start a business right after college. And actually, I wrote a business plan for a, a line of plus size clothing for teenage girls. So back then, there wasn't very much in in the market if you were plus size and you were a teenage girl. And I saw this huge market opportunity from a census perspective and from a U.S. demographics perspective. And my professors thought I should definitely launch the business. I had done all this research on, you know, where I would launch it, how I would launch it. And ultimately, you know, needed about $30,000 in startup capital. And we were going to launch the line of denim. So we were going to start with jeans. And, you know, back then, if you were plus size and you were a teenager, the only place you could buy cute jeans were uh, in the boys' husky department or the women's old lady department. There was nothing for teenagers. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. And that's so there true. was literally nothing. And my best friend at USC, her dad had just invested in a denim manufacturing plant in downtown LA. And so we had the manufacturer. We were going to do it online. This was like, you know, 1999. So the internet was just kind of coming online. And we were going to do it online. And, um, but I, you know, couldn't convince my dad to help me. <laughs> you know, I had no money, no ability to raise capital and didn't really, um, you know, and he just didn't think it was a good idea. And so I um, ended up not pursuing that. And that was kind of like a big regret that I would carry on with me for 10 years because the mall that I did all my research in was the mall called the Brea Mall in Orange County. Oh, and sure. That's where yeah. And that's where Torrid ended up putting their very first U.S. store in that same mall. And it was like my idea, plus less clothing targeted at teenagers. It would go on to become a multi-billion dollar company. Thanks, so Dad. Just, you know, I always Thanks, Dad. Like that. that was really, really good <laughs> advice. Thanks. Thanks so much. I could be a billionaire right now. But even closed doors, like sometimes you just have to keep enough in mind. It, it was funny. We had like this moment, like five, five years after that, where CNN was doing the story on on the plus size clothing industry for teenagers and how it was like the fastest growing in the, part of the payroll. And my dad was like, that was your idea. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that thanks. Idea. Thanks <laughs> a lot. You owe me uh, in our next life, $3 billion. <laughs> 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 but so I didn't do that business. And my dad had ulterior motives. So he actually wanted me to join his business, which after working outside the family for a few years, kind of in other industries, decided to join him when I wanted to get my MBA. And, you know, the family business was a plumbing manufacturing business. So plumbing and hardware products, like 8,000 products, pretty large company. You know, at the time that I joined, it was only one location, but we were able to grow it to five locations, five distribution centers. Um, you know, operations around the world, the customers around the world. But, you know, for him, he just wanted me in the family business and wanted, you know, I think to get an ROI on the USC education. Right, right. <laughs> Speaking of billions of dollars, <laughs> that education is not cheap. Yeah. So, you know, ended up working in the family business. And I uh, 
Nicole, I thought I would stay there a year or two while I got my MBA. I was doing an executive MBA program. What I didn't bargain on was that I would fall in love with the business. And that really surprised me because I always thought that like, you know, the industry was boring. And the opportunity that I saw to build a business that had had this tremendous head start and really get immersed in every level of the business from HR to risk management, you know, finance, accounting, marketing, and eventually... You know, my dad retired and passed the business down to me to run. And, you know, that experience um, has has really been kind of my life's work up until the, till this point. Um, and then becoming an entrepreneur, you know, after that. But working in the family business was a tremendous opportunity for me to grow my skill set. And do you feel that the draw perhaps for you, right? Growing your skill set, of course, is one of them. but did you feel like being there with your family, right? Was was that more of the draw or was the draw, hey, I've graduated. I'm really an entrepreneur by heart. I have value. I have thoughts and ideas. And I have, you know, an avenue to be able to, to really push those through and create something different and the latitude that my family business gives me, because perhaps, you know, as you know, in a lot of corporate America, you coming in, even mid-sized companies, right? You, you, you go into, you don't have the latitude um, and trust that you have in a family business. And I think sometimes what's exciting about family businesses is you go in and they know you, it could be a detriment too, right? Because preconceived notions, but you're a very thoughtful individual, creative, going in, inspired. You know, do you think that was part of the draw? You know, going in plumbing. Listen, our my husband's business is is in plumbing. And you're right. It's not, it's it's not glamorous and it it's not fascinating and fun. But from where you took that business, I think, you know, is is super interesting as well. Well, you know, that's a really great question, Nicole, because I had never thought of it this way until you just asked me about. But I think the way that I came into the business coming through getting an MBA at the same time where I was able to take lessons that I learned in the MBA program and immediately apply them and see the growth and see how it could be applied versus, you know, when I was an undergrad, I learned business, but I didn't have a business to apply it to. It is really like looking in hindsight now, that question really, it's very fortunate that I did it that way versus just going in and learning the business, the way the business was run and just continuing it the way it was run. You know, getting the MBA was automatically disruptive and I was automatically changing the way that, you know, people were looking at the business or, um, yeah, so it's really interesting, but definitely there was also the draw, the first part of your question of like my family and being around my family. I mean, my mom was in the business, my dad was in the business. Um, I had a brother in the business. And so, yeah, being, I was, you know, back then I remember saying, it's awesome. You get to be all day with people that you love, such a gift in the family business. And that obviously comes with challenges. But, you, you know, you, you spend so much time with your coworkers. That's why culture is so important. And it's really important to love the people you work with and be inspired by them. And because, you you know, you can make money and work anywhere. But where you spend your time actually matters. Believing in the business, believing in the people around you, um, making each other better. I agree. I agree 100%. I couldn't have said it better myself. And interesting, as you mentioned all of these family members that were in the business, how did 
that work, right? You get your executive MBA, you come out, you have creative thoughts and ideas and wow, here comes Claire. She's in the business, right? And she's making changes. How was that perceived? Well, I started in marketing. So I started kind of like in one section of the business and that was kind of my emphasis in the MBA program. I wanted to learn more about marketing. And so, you know, the business didn't even have a website when I joined, right? And I was like, how do you not have a website? (laughs) (laughs) Step one, right? And so I got to like, I think, build build that part of the business in a non-threatening way. And it wasn't like an area that was owned by anybody in the family. It was, you know, and there were great people that worked in that department. And so I, you know, it was a very gradual. I never set out to run the business. It was never my intention. Never. Isn't that funny? Um, Almost every CEO that I interview who is in a family business the first thing they say is, I was never, it was never my intention to run the business itself. I was there as a support. I was there to help grow the business, but I never thought it would be me that would be running the business. It's so interesting. Why, why, Claire, why, why did you not envision yourself being president of that business? You know, I I just saw, I mean, because my dad was like such a big personality and maybe when you're coming up through a family, you're like, I'm just not that personality or that's not my leadership style. And when you don't see your leadership style reflected ahead of you, maybe that's why that could be the disconnect. Um, you know, because like maybe you think that that's what it takes to run a successful business. But I learned in the process and maybe it's, it's positive intent. Like people who are service-minded and servant leaders just want to help. And that I think goes a lot further in growing a business because it's kind of like you into others as you would have done it to you, that proverb, it's really about making the world better. And so like having that kind of personality or outlook is an abundance one and it's not scarcity, right? It's not like there's only one, there's only one person that can be the boss, but there's many people that can help, right? And so I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a mixture of those things. And, and I think discovering your own leadership style, like makes you more comfortable as a leader. I agree. I agree. I think that leadership is is an evolution. And my hope is that this podcast, you know, hearing people's stories, people incorporate bits and pieces of, gosh, that's a unique perspective. That's, you know, something that I want to incorporate into my leadership skills and takes bits and pieces and, and formulate to their own. Right. I think, I think that's a big, a big piece of it. No, it's okay. I was going to say, well, even in entrepreneurship, I remember when I first started this you know, unite that I'm doing today, you know, I was telling a mentor of mine, I said, you know, I'm just, I'm not not the like started startup kind of person. I'm not the entrepreneur that can like, you know, this is really hard for me, this skill set of like really starting from scratch. But I'm like, once it gets to, you know, $30 million, like I'll know how to scale that business. Cause obviously that's what I had done in my past. And this mentor just looked at me and said, you know, Clara, like you are also really good at the startup. You just haven't done it yet. And I thought that was like, that really hit me because sometimes you base your potential for future success on what you've already accomplished. But what you really should base it on is your ability to learn new things and your ability to start new things or, you know, kind of take away. And it really, like that gave me the confidence, Nicole, to really be like, 
yeah, I've got this and I really can do this part too. And I think, um, you know, it's interesting. So I, I've, I've known Clara for seven years and we're, we're in an executive group together and really watched you, you know, go from your family business to, you know, create tiny crowns to create unite foods and the energy and passion. And I observe you as a very bold, creative person. And it's, it's interesting how we think and we view ourselves right, is very different than how other people perceive us to be. I mean, your statement right there, right, right. When this business gets to $30 million, I really know how to do that. But I got to tell you, I would model after you for any startup business I ever did, or I, or are pretty much our entire audience. I mean, you are, you know, I hate this term, but I love this term. You are a rock star in your field. So lot to learn from you, but, and I do think entrepreneurship is hard, right? And I think the hard part about it is believing in yourself that you can do it. And so once you get over that hurdle, the rest seems to come much easier. I think what's hard about it is so slow in the very beginning, right? And that is the the part that, you know, the slow part is the agony of, is this going to work? Like, okay, I I can make this product and I know my price. I know how I would distribute it, but is anybody going to actually do it? And is it going to take off or are people going to understand the value proposition? Is it the right product market fit? You know, all those things are agonizing. And I think it's because it's really unknown in the very beginning. And you have to kind of lean into that feeling of discomfort. Um, and that's what I realized is that everybody has felt that. Every successful entrepreneur from Jeff Bezos to anybody, right, has felt that, is it going to work? I don't know. Question. And it's part of the journey and it's okay to feel that way. Are you enjoying the episode thus far? We'll be right back after a quick word with our sponsor, Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC. Are you ready to thrive in the ever-evolving tech industry? The tech world is constantly changing and ITC is your partner for navigating it successfully. Whether you're seeking top-tier tech professionals or the perfect opportunity, we are happy to connect you with talent to transform your business. At ITC, we specialize in placing first-rate, diverse technology talent into corporations with a particular focus on underrepresented groups in tech. We believe in bringing new perspectives and ideas to your team. Together, we can contribute to a more innovative technology industry. Diversity isn't just a buzzword for us, it's in our DNA. Whether you're looking at bringing on more tech talent or you're a tech professional searching for your perfect role and employer, look no further. Take a look at www.irvinetechcorp.com and pick the best option for you. Be part of our mission to create a more inclusive and innovative technology industry. Once again, it's www.irvinetechcorp.com. Now back to the show. Well, and I think too, to be, you know, if you look at it for, you know, those who are not in a startup mentality or, you know, within a company, like, you know, you pivot in your business, right? If you were, when you were with your family business and you were running marketing and you're putting marketing dollars out, you're hoping and sitting and thinking, gosh, I hope this works, right? And in your journey, in a startup journey, it's just a longer period of time. But as individuals, I'm a believer that, you know, we're, we're just comfort, you know, we, we face discomfort all the time in almost everything we do. Nothing's a sure thing and we're going to make mistakes. It's, it's, you know, fall fast, right. And get right back up. 
and learn those, you know, those, those little hiccups that we all go through as business people. And it's how you recover from those. And, and, and to your point, right. Getting comfortable that this is part of it all. And I think that's where people hesitate and, and retract is, oh gosh, this isn't coming fast enough, or I must've made something, done something wrong. Let's pivot. And so I, I, you know, I think that's a really valuable lesson that you point out, right? Lean into the feeling of discomfort. It's important. Yeah, it guides you. And I think also having a side hustle is really a good way of testing things. Um, You know, not quitting your job right away if you're going to become an entrepreneur or, you know, if you're interested in a radical new field that's totally different than what you're doing, like, you know, maybe moonlighting a little bit or trying it a little bit, right, in, in, you know, consulting or doing, you know, extra work. And I think that's a really, like, I don't want to say safer, but it's more of a bite-sized way to see what it feels like. I think so many people have this dream of, like, I'm going to quit my job, I'm going to shut down at A and go to B. When really it can be like a period of, you know, a blurring of those two things until you know, and, and kind of like a journey um, to other things. Yeah, I, I I could absolutely see that. I wonder if, because I think that's very common, right? People are in their day jobs, have this phenomenal thought and idea, and then kind of moonlight and, you know, take time on the weekends and in the evenings. and gear themselves towards that project or that new launch or that new business. But I wonder sometimes if that's easier to quit, right? Meaning, oh gosh, uh, giving themselves a way out. Like, oh, it's great concept, and but I don't have a lot of time to do it. And it's not going as, as much, most robust as I, or, you know, as, as it could. And, and then just bowing out. Like, I, I wonder right? Because I agree with you. I think it's it's a safer step, right? But then if you're not all in, what happens? It's always easy to back out of things that you're not all in or that you haven't, you know, that you're you're on the line for basically, right? Hook, line and sinker. You're looking for this thought and idea to move forward. I don't know. I could see both ways. Just, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, I guess it's for the, up to the individual. I think that's an excellent point. I think you're right. I think if you, when you have more skin in the game, it's like do or die. I think of my dad, you know, and the entrepreneur who literally, you know, he has no, he had no startup capital. He had no financial backers. You know, he had one asset at the time and it was like this box truck and he was like a truck driver and started, you know, doing loads from the port in Sudan to the city. And his back was like literally against the wall. You know, we think about bootstraps, like, you know, for me, if my business fails, I'm still going to be able to like afford to put food on my table. Right. But for him, it was like, there was no plan B. And when they're in, and you hear that a lot from, especially like people that come from developing countries or who don't have, you know, an education to fall back on, like there is no plan B. And it's that sheer will to succeed that propels them forward. And I, I have found that feeling in a different way in my journey of, I'm just not going to quit. You know, I got to a place of, it doesn't matter what obstacle comes my way. I'm just going to go through it. I'm going to go over it. I'm going to go under it. And it's maybe when your back's against the wall, you don't have an option, but to feel that way. And when you have more to lose, you have to cultivate that. Right. Right. So I've been able to cultivate that 
but I cultivated it by knowing that I, by getting through the hard things. So if you quit, you don't get to cultivate that. And if you're moonlighting and like the first obstacle in your business gets thrown in your way and you quit, you don't ever get to the other side of that, which is, it's not an arrogance. It's just like a deep confidence that you, even if you don't have the tools or the knowledge to go over the obstacles, you can figure it out. You can lean on your network. Would you say that one of your top qualities that contributed to your success as a leader, as an entrepreneur, was that mindset? I'm just not going to quit. A hundred percent. They're like, commit because if you don't believe in yourself, like nobody else will. And not in an arrogant way, again, you know, in an empathetic, like, you know, more of like a lead by example. And I always say your ability to solve your problem, whatever problem comes your way is only as good as your network. Like your network is your net worth. People say that all the time. So if you're not expanding yourself, if you're not expanding the people that you surround yourself with, if you're not climbing to learn more, to do more, um, you know, there's never been a problem that I've encountered where, you know, my first thought is how do I fix it? It's more of who do I know that can help me? Let's talk about that because networking often plays a crucial role in career growth. You know, it's especially difficult for women. How you've built and leveraged your professional network to help, right? You said, you know, you go to someone all the time. You have a challenge. You have someone to go to. How did you get to that spot? You know, it's really interesting. A big part of my network today comes from LinkedIn. And but when I was in the plumbing manufacturing business, I only probably knew a couple hundred people on LinkedIn. And it was like a place where I got solicited. And I was like, what is this LinkedIn? This is annoying. It's just where people are trying to sell me packaging or trying to sell me a, you know, a trucking quote or whatever. I didn't see it as like a way to build relationships. And it was like through a major obstacle um, that I got on LinkedIn, which was the COVID pandemic. So when I launched Unite, it was in March of 2020. And because COVID shut down our major trade show, which was supposed to be in that same month, um, I didn't have a way to tell anybody about my product. So I started cultivating content on LinkedIn and just like started telling people about my product, just hoping that somebody might discover it. And like today I have like, you know, close to 6,000 connections there and people all over the country that I can call on for so many different things within my product. So that's one way that's like accessible for anybody, creating meaningful LinkedIn content, connecting with people on LinkedIn, following their content, learning about, you know, what drives them. But the other way is, you know, it takes the work of actually showing up to important events in your industry or in your sphere of um, what you're interested in. And so I got involved in earlier on a, a CEO kind of program called Vistage. And that led me, you know, at the same time to join YPO, but those are all kind of business-based and, you know, you have to be like in YPO, you have to be a president of a business to join, but there's also, you know, other industry things that you can join that are more inclusive. Like, you know, in the food industry, I'm in something called the Network of Executive Women and it's called Next Step now. They've rebranded, but it's more focused on women. And so there are different, there are so many platforms for networking. It's about finding the one that fits with you and where you are at your stage and the people that are part of that network. Do you want, would you be proud to call them your friends? Would you want to spend time with them if, if you didn't have to? I think that's really important. And you're finding these, Clara, mostly through LinkedIn? 
these networks that you're part of? Yeah, through LinkedIn, really, because I mean, there's just there. I follow people that I admire, and I look and see what they do and how they spend their time, and what networks or um, organizations are they a part of, and that leads you down a rabbit hole where there's you know there's so many, and really it's about finding the right one. I mean, I think there's like Toastmasters and all kinds of different networks that I, I love. I Toastmasters, about. I love it. And for those of you who don't know it, it's it's a group and. They're they're across the country. I think they're even perhaps globally now. I don't know, Clara, but it helps you with your public speaking. And you create such a tight knit group with these individuals, and um, it's it's a great organization. But yeah, it's all over. So that that's interesting. You know, I always found different groups and networking opportunities right through through currently learning and talking to people. And I know there's a plethora of them on LinkedIn and, um, you know, and I, I probably should for myself, I don't use those quite as much, but I'm going to start looking into them as well. You know, just hearing from you, I think that's a really good suggestion. Yeah, it's about, and, it's, and for me, I, I'm a lover of people, so I'm very social. So it fills my personal cup too, you know, like maybe more introverted people don't want to spend time networking with people that they don't know. So you know, it's important to just like find smaller groups if that's the case or a medium that helps you, you know, connect with other people because that's really where the value is, is learning from others. Yeah, I agree. And that's, again, that's why I put this podcast together is I thought, you know, people don't have access all the time to to hear people like you speak and it's motivating and there's lessons to be learned there for certain. Tell us a little bit about you, I I know that you sold your business and then you found yourself okay, open to your next, you know, entrepreneurial venture. And tell us a little bit about Unite Foods and your Unite Bars because I think it's really interesting the concept. And it just came to you, and you're, you know, you're one of those people again, Clara the Creative. That's your new name, right? <laughs> it just is. And talk talk to us a little bit about how that happened, right? Because it doesn't need to be in a business setting where it's created and thought out. I mean, I think you did yours, what, in the kitchen, right? When you were just cooking for your kids. So tell us a little bit. 100%. Well, you know, so I'm always creating products that solve my own problems. And that's really where my unique point of inspiration always comes from that. And so when I was running Easy Flow, you know, I was really busy and found myself not able to like get away for lunch many days and also getting a little bit sicker every year, like suffering from stomach issues and all these things. So I would go to this nutritionist and I would say, you know, she was she was trying to help me decode what was going on in my health. And it, I realized I had, I had a gluten intolerance. And I needed to cut gluten out, even though I didn't have celiac disease, I just gluten, I couldn't tolerate gluten very well. And I would tell her, you know, I'm really busy. I don't have like gluten's and everything. Like, what am I supposed to eat for lunch? Right? Like, just tell me what to eat and I'll eat it. I was just desperate, Nicole. I just wanted like to solve, right? And tell me, tell me the formula and help me. And so she said, you know, you could eat these snacks and here's some protein bars that would work. And so, you know, the ones that she suggested, I went out and bought and I would eat them at my desk and I you know, didn't think of them as something I wanted to eat. They were just like, I have to eat. And I would just, you know, eat one real quick, chug a bunch of water and just move on with my day. And, you know, I was inspired to start Unite because I would go to the grocery store and always 
try to find maybe one that I would like more. Like I didn't, you know, that one wasn't that good. Like, is there what I would like better? And one day it just kind of hit me that like, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter which brand I choose. They're always the same. They're always chocolate or vanilla or peanut butter. There really wasn't very much differentiation. I mean, there was an odd birthday cake or something. And I, it hit me that like me being an immigrant, like there's a lot of flavor in our food. I grew up in LA where there's like so many ethnic cuisines and so much differentiation in flavor, but it was really missing in wellness. And I thought to myself, like, just like the plus size clothing for teenage girls, like there's this huge demographic shift happening. And where are the products that meet that gap, right? In wellness. So, and it's really important when you think about it in terms of inclusivity, because it's really hard to participate in wellness if you don't identify with the flavors you're being offered. So apple pie, for example, is a popular flavor in wellness bars, but like I didn't grow up eating apple pie. I didn't eat an apple pie till I went to college. Like that was, that's not a childhood nostalgic flavor to me. Blueberry, same thing, right? Like all of these flavors that were being offered just aren't nostalgic if you're like an immigrant or you're from somewhere else. I thought like, okay, well, half the population is like me. And today it represents a $4 trillion market opportunity by 2040, right? This multicultural movement in the United States. And I thought like, where are the protein bars for, for people like me? Like, where's the baklava and where's the churro and where's, you know, the, even the peanut butter and jelly, like the American flavor, everything was just so uniform in peanut butter and chocolate that I was like, you know, how far could this be? And so I literally got out of Cuisinart, would go to like all these ethnic markets around my, my home, like Asian ones and Hispanic ones and you know, look at the flavors and look what people were buying and look what was being offered. And there was this big disconnect in ethnic markets between nutritious food and, you know, nutritious packaged food, I should say, and, and wellness. And so I, you know, I just started playing around and I was like, well, what would I put in this? And I would put almond butter and I would put some dates and I would put some, you know, seeds in there or whatever. And I just started blending and literally sharing them with my friends and refining and refining and refining. And finally got to a point. And I think that's one of our greatest differentiators is when you look at our formulation, our ingredients, ingredients, you know, there's something that came out of my kitchen. They didn't come out of a lab. Right. It wasn't like an R&D project. That's right. Right. That's and right. Just like wholesome, normal nutrition. And that's what sets us apart. Um, and so, you know, kind of got started very small testing on my friends and family. And I can't tell you how many meetings I brought baggies. <laughs> I didn't even know how to make them into bars. I'd just roll them into balls. Try this. I promise it won't kill you. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> and when my friends loved them, that's when I knew I had something and, you know, went and knew that I, you know, wanted to find a factory to make them for me. I didn't want to make them myself because there's a lot of liability in food, just like there is in plumbing, which I learned the hard way, you know, but in food, you could really hurt somebody if you don't make a very high quality product. And so I, you know, found a factory that would make them for me, got it all packaged and, you know, really invested in branding and design because I knew that that was my only differentiator. Like capturing the attention in a very, very saturated competitive market. And Nicole, all my friends told me like, what are you doing? You know nothing about this industry. You have no experience in food. Like why would you go into like one of the most competitive industries, one of the competitive product categories in that industry? And I just remember looking at them and saying like, if not me, then who? That's right. That is right. Who is going to do it? 
That is right. Right. Like I, I know how to build a business. I, you know, I'm smart. I can do this and I can bring more people in. And so, the, you know, the name is Unite because we want to bring everybody into wellness. Our mission is to build a big wellness table where everybody has a seat. And that's why we have like flavors from around the world, but also American flavors represented because my American heritage is important to me. So we say diversity is delicious. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, as I'm listening to your story, right, what you have that a lot of people, you know, don't roll the tape and play out is you are a curious person, right? You're curious. You're, you know, curious in regards to, you know, wow, this is XYZ of market share that that could happen. And, you know, why, where are, you know, the bars and the food that is diverse and and brings in, you know, many, many cultures. And I'm I'm gonna go and look and I'm gonna go to these different markets and see what they have and how they make these things and what the flavors are. I mean, you're just a very curious person. And I think, you know, being curious, if you look across the spectrum of entrepreneurs, that's how they started is they're trying to solve a problem, right? They're trying to solve a problem for others and they're curious on how to get there. Even I mean, Clara, my, you know, my women in leadership program that I started from, you know, nothing and has evolved. It was, how can I help more women elevate their career to the C-suite? It was just at that. And then I started off on a journey and did a lot of research and got people together, probably a lot smarter than me to help me put it together. And it's those types of fearlessness creativity, curiosity, right? Being an entrepreneur. And I I think, again, getting back to leaning into the feeling of discomfort that maybe you don't know everything, but you know what? You're a capable individual and you're going to find out how to do it, right? And falling fast, right? I think those are all important things. And those are, you know, hearing your story, those are things that I think, you know, you've learned over time and, and you know, you're comfortable with yourself. Yeah, and I think curiosity is a very underrated personality attribute because curiosity, if you really think about it, is how you keep an open mind, being curious. It's how you can look at an opposing viewpoint objectively, being curious, looking under the first level of your initial emotional response, being curious, right? And maybe it's because, you know, I came to the U.S. and had to relearn everything right? And learn a new culture and learn a different culture than what I was taught at home and being curious. Maybe that helped shape me. But I I do, like for me, like I tried to fan that flame of curiosity in my children, like learning, like I actually don't care what their grades are. I care that they stay curious about learning and wanting to learn more about things that they're passionate about and feeling, you know, doing the extra stuff going the extra investigative mile, you know, to like investigate things. And speaking to of your children, how do you manage your work-life balance, your personal, your, you know, you said, you know, first and foremost, you're a mom, right? You're an entrepreneur. I mean, how do you put that all together? How, how does that work for you? And it's interesting because people handle it in very different ways. I'm curious, curious to see how, uh, how you handle it. You, I'd be curious, Clara, at the end of this, after right. curious, Clara. <laughs> That's um, right. I'm going to. Curious, creative, Clara. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think balance is is a myth. 
I don't think like there's this thing that's called balance. Like something will always be imbalanced, right? And but it's being comfortable in that the same way that you're comfortable in the unknown. And when I'm with my kids, Nicole, my dad worked a lot of hours, but when I never saw him during the week, but on the weekends he was present and he was there. And I never would tell you that he was an absentee dad. Right. It's like a feeling. It's not the quality. It's the quantity. You know, it's not the quantity. Sorry. It's the quality of the time you spend together. And so when I'm with my kids, I'm with my kids. And, you know, I curate things for us to do that are fun and interesting. I include them in the business. Right. And one of their favorite things to do on a Friday night is watch Shark Tank and evaluate what the kids are pitching, what the people are pitching. And they'll say, would you take that deal, mom? We wouldn't take that deal. You know, you're going to do all the work and they're going to get all the money. No way, Jose. (laughs) And they're passionate about it. And they've started to talk about their own entrepreneurial things that they want to do. And to me, that's, that's what it's about. It's like, you know, and it's, it's hard. Like I'm here in South Carolina and, you know, got in on Sunday night at midnight at 3am. I got a call from my nine-year-old saying she was having severe stomach pains and, you know, she's staying overnight with our nanny. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you're going to have to go to the hospital to see if you have an appendix. But I'm lucky that I have like family nearby. And my brother was able to go over there and check on her and she was okay. And my mom took her to the doctor yesterday. And, you know, it's just, it's being away. Like those things are going to happen. Yeah. And it's, you it's know, tough. And- it's, 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 it's def- difficult. Right. And I think you're right. Like, you know, it's, it's trying to find the balance, but when you're with your kids, you are with your kids and you're there in the important moments. Right. And, um, and when you're at work, you're at work and you compartmentalize it as much as you can. Yes, I agree. I agree. Well, we are going to wrap up this phenomenal podcast. So thank you so much, Curious Creative Clara. But I do, before we go, I want to you know just kind of do this fun thing that I have five questions for you, rapid fire. And just, you know, kind of the first thing or person that pops in your mind and um, we'll go from there. So your role model as a child. My dad. Your favorite professional book? Blue Ocean Strategies. Your favorite country? The United States. Uh, Your favorite downtime activity you use to recharge yourself? For sure, tennis. Not pickleball, huh? Oh, no, that's not even a sport. Don't get me started. (laughs) 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 Okay. And your favorite project? My favorite project, coming up with new protein bar flavors. I love, love the innovation process. Tell us your uh, boba, right? You just released? Yeah, we have a bubble tea boba flavor that's in Sprouts and a baklava. Mm, Yum, yum, yum. And they are fabulous. Yes, they are fabulous. Clara, I cannot thank you enough for being on today and appreciate your time. It was my pleasure, Nicole. Thank you for having me. And uh, best of luck and blessings to all your podcast listeners. Thank you. Thanks again. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Elevate Your Career podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you are listening to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with your friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links in the description of this episode. Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC, excels at finding top-tier tech professionals and matching them with businesses. Whether you're an employer with tech opportunities or a tech professional searching for the perfect role, 
ITC is your go-to solution. Visit www.irvinetechcorp.com for more information. Once again, it's www.irvinetechcorp.com. We'll see you on the next episode.